The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. So I have, uh, I've, I've been up here uh, before a number of times, obviously introducing other speakers, but uh, I thought since, since I was up here uh, for the first time actually kind of doing a devotional for you, I'd tell you a little bit more about myself and, and hopefully uh, this will uh, serve as a, um, uh, both an introduction to myself, but also a um, kind of adding some, 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 some credibility to the topic that I'm going to discuss. So, um, so, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you guys before, but I was born and raised in Philadelphia in the Germantown area, so not too far away from here. Um, I uh, went to a, a, a Christian school, I went through Christian schools K through 12, so I went to a school that used to be called Spruce Hill when I was there, it's now called the City School. Uh, and then uh, for high school, I went to Philmont Christian Academy. Um, I ended up after high school moving down to Georgia for college then out to St. Louis for seminary where I met my wife. Uh, and I think we have a picture of, of, of her up here. So, yeah, there, there we go. Yeah. yeah, there she is, yeah. So, yeah, oh, yeah. So, sorry, that's uh, it's a little grainy. I pulled that off of Facebook. You, you guys know what Facebook is, right? It's like, it's this thing that college students used to use to keep track of their relationship status. And, and now it's something that people my age use to post pictures of their kids and complain about politics. So you check it out. I know, I know most of you aren't really on it anymore, but it's a thing. It's a thing. Anyway, so and then um, and my wife and I uh, uh, ended up living in St. Louis for a time, moving back to Georgia, moving to Southeast Asia for a time, and I'll talk a bit about that in a minute, uh, to Montana, to California, back to Philadelphia, and during that time, uh, we, had, we had two little girls. If you audit the last one, just, just ready for this, okay? Do we have a picture of the two little girls? So, there we go, yeah, so, so there is, uh, those are my two daughters. Uh, that is Karis and Aletheia. Aletheia is a little bit younger, so they're Greek words, meaning grace, grace and truth, um, and they're very, very sweet girls, and I, I, how many of you met them? I brought them around a, a, a few times, like student life events and stuff like that. They're lots of fun. They're very outgoing. Uh, yeah, they got uh, their mother's outgoing personality for sure, for sure. So, um, then back in Philadelphia, I'm here uh, obviously serving uh, you guys as the dean of students, um, but also working as a student at at, uh, at Temple University. So I'm a doctoral student there. So um, I'm I'm right there with you guys. Those late nights of of studying, um, uh, as as you're studying to the wee hours of the morning, I often. I am studying as, as well, um, and so please do know that I understand what it's like to be, to be a student. Today, um, I want to talk about God's will. So I just talked a lot about transitions in, in my own life. Um, specifically, I want to talk about how we discern God's will, and I want us to start by turning to Romans 12 too. So if you have a Bible, I will give you a moment to turn Romans 2. All right. 
So, and I'm reading from the uh, ESV, probably. Forgot to write down the translation. Probably from the ESV. Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Can I start us out with a word of prayer? Lord God, um, I pray that you would be with us now as we gather together to talk about your will. This is a um, weighty and important topic, and I am cognizant of the fact that I am ill-equipped to speak about it. Lord, uh, I pray that uh, if and when I speak the truth, you would open uh, the ears of our students. And if I say anything that is untrue, uh, unorthodox, uh, or even heresy, Lord, that you would uh, close the ears of those in this room and help us to quickly forget it and correct me. Uh, Lord, uh, I pray that you just be with us now. Uh, we thank you for just the time that we have as a learning community to gather to study your word. Amen. Um, so as I mentioned today, I want to speak with you about God's will, or rather what it means for us to discern God's will in our lives. Over the next 10 years, you will make a majority of the important decisions in your life. So in her book, The Defining Decade, uh, Berkeley psychologist Meg Jay points out that 80% of life's most important decisions take place by the age of 35. That means that 8 out of 10 of the defining moments, the decisions, the experience, the moments of self-discovery that you make in your life will have happened by your mid-30s. Over the next 10 years, you'll make decisions that will drastically impact your education, your career, your family, your health. The decisions you make over the next decade will set you on a path and shape your life in profound ways. Such decisions are, are rarely easy. Uh, and in fact, it is quite rare that we um, can have 100% confidence in these decisions. It is a luxury for us to be clear about any of, of life's most important decisions. We need guidance in these decisions. You will need guidance as you navigate these important decisions of your life. Finding a guidance is, is actually, in some sense, not particularly challenging, right? The shelves of stores are filled with books written by pop psychologists, self-help gurus, and business influencers, all claiming to hold the secret to putting you on the right path. Similarly, social media feeds are filled with articles and videos of people dispensing unsolicited and decontextualized advice. No doubt, uh, these, these sources contain nuggets of truth. However, Paul's exhortation to the church pushes us to a higher authority. In this passage, Paul reminds us that through the renewal of our minds, 
we have the ability to discern the will of God for our life. This is a really bold statement. God has revealed much about himself, his character, his attributes, his will throughout the scriptures, especially in the person and work of Jesus Christ. However, much of the character and will of God is hidden from us. There's a real sense in which God, uh, God's character and will is now and forever will be incomprehensible to us. God is God. We are not, right? God is infinite and wise. We are finite. As finite beings with finite minds, we need to be comfortable with the reality that we will never fully understand the ways of the Lord. We need to be comfortable with mystery. And this mystery should leave us in a posture of trust towards the Lord, right? The knowledge that we are finite, however, should not discourage us from seeking out the Lord's will. Before we go any further, I think it would be uh, helpful for us to kind of clarify exactly what might be meant by God's will. So James Montgomery Boyce, the former pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, helpfully distinguishes between three meanings of, of God's will. First, one can talk about God's sovereign will, which is hidden to us and not revealed to us except as it unfolds in history. Second, one can talk about God's moral will, which is revealed in scriptures, especially in the law. For example, as we read in the Ten Commandments, um, it is clearly God's will that you not murder people, uh, even your roommate who hasn't done their laundry in like three months. Okay, So God's will... Please don't murder your roommate. Third, one can talk about God's specific will for individuals. This is likely the meaning that Christians have in mind when we use phrases like, the Lord told me, the Lord is leading me to, God wants me to, I feel the Lord is calling me to. It is this last uh, meaning of God's will that I want us to just focus on for a little bit. Over the years, I've worked with a lot of college students, uh, and I've spoken to many of them who are wrestling through what it means for them to discern God's will in their individual lives. What should I major in? Who should I room with? What summer job should I take? Should I stay in college or take this job opportunity? Should I confront this unhealthy relationship? Should I marry this guy? Should I marry this girl? My guess is that most, uh, if not all of you, are wrestling with these sorts of questions or will be, uh, certainly, over the next 10 years. So the question becomes, okay, how do we do it? How do we discern God's will for our lives? I'm going to give you three ways. I'm going to talk about these, these three things today. First, we discern God's will through the guidance of his spirit, heard in the still, small voice of our conscience. Second, we discern God's will through the guidance of his, his people and his church through others. And third, and most importantly, we discern God's will through the guidance of his word. So this first point, we discern God's will through the guidance of his spirit heard in the still, small voice of our conscience. In this passage, the Apostle Paul 
uh, refers to a transformation in the Christian life, which is an ongoing process resulting from the renewal of our minds. The renewal of our minds that Paul speaks of is brought about by the work of God's Spirit. Paul's confidence in the mind of the Christian is a result of his understanding of the work of the Spirit, who is actively working to affect the renewal in thinking that Paul here refers to. As a result of the work of the Holy Spirit, we can trust our conscience to guide us in our decision-making process. In his book, A Sacred Heart, uh, I'm sorry, A Sacred Voice is Calling, author John Neefsey refers to the voice of the Holy Spirit as the still, small voice. Neefsey observes that theologically it can be said that God uses the inclinations of our true self, the promptings of conscience, to help and guide and call us through the big decisions and small toward the goal or purpose for which we are created. We live in a really noisy world. Instead of shouting over the noise of our life, the Holy Spirit chooses to whisper through our conscience. The Holy Spirit does not suffer competition. He has no interest in getting into a shouting match with our music or our television or our egos. To hear the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, we need to quiet our hearts and our minds. As Nisi observes, time-honored spiritual practices of prayer and meditation can be seen as techniques for developing our listening skills so that we are able to listen more consciously and intentionally for the inner voice of the Spirit. Silence can be a little awkward, can't it? But learning to sit still, to calm and quiet ourselves enough to be able to hear something other than the surface noise of our lives or the distracting inner chatter of our own egos or fear is a necessary prerequisite for being able to detect the stirring, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Our conscience is an important means of understanding God's will for our lives, but it is not always an easy task to differentiate between uh, the leading of that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit and our own selfish desires, right? When I was in college, a friend of mine, uh, a group of friends and I went to attend uh, the Creation Festival. Anybody here gone to the Creation Festival? This is a large outdoor Christian concert. This was back in the days of bands like Reliant K and Switchfoot. It was somewhere, yeah, all right. So our second day there, one of my friends pulled me aside and pointed to a group of women sitting on a picnic blanket about 50 feet away. See that girl in the red shirt? He said, I can't stop looking at her. She's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. I'm going to go talk to her. Come with me, he said. I agreed to go, and the two of us walked over. Once we got their attention, my friend, in an act of reckless abandonment and perhaps uh, inspired by the spiritual atmosphere, told the girl that she was the most beautiful girl that he had ever seen and that he was certain the Lord was leading him to ask her out. 
To which she replied, really, well, did the Lord also tell you that I'm married and two months pregnant? Just let that sink in. We need to learn to distinguish between our will and God's will. Discerning God's will ultimately requires that we let go of our will or wishes in order to submit or surrender to the will of somebody greater than our own. The most poignant example of this, of course, in the scriptures is Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. If our conscience was the only means uh, we had for discerning God's will for our lives, well, we would be in pretty serious trouble. Our egos can far too easily drown out the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. As such, we should be continually testing the inner voice of our conscience against the scriptures. As theologian Martin Luther says, you should not believe your conscience and your feelings more than the word which the Lord preaches to you. Our selfish desires can make uh, even the most ego-driven decisions seem like the will of God. More often than not, we need others to help us separate our own selfish desires from the leading of the Holy Spirit. As such, the second way that we discern God's will for our lives is through uh, the guidance of his, his people. Don't forget that Paul here is talking to the church, his challenges to the church and to a community of believers. So fellow believers can help us discern God's will for our lives. Far too often Christians uh, neglect to seek out the advice of others when faced with difficult decisions. And when we do seek out the advice of others, we are often too stubborn or too blind when wise, wise advice is given. Four years ago, my wife and I were faced with a very, very difficult decision, a life-changing decision. We were living in Georgia at the time where I was working in residence life as a Christian college. Um, while there, I was presented with an opportunity that was incredibly exciting to me. Um, this opportunity was to actually move to Jakarta, Indonesia to start a new Christian college. I love this idea. I love the idea of moving to the other side of the world and immersing myself in a new culture. My wife, on the other hand, was less excited. We had a comfortable life in Georgia. Moving to Indonesia would mean saying goodbye to dear friends and family. Moreover, we had a small child. My daughter, Karis, was just one year old at the time. Raising a child is scary enough as it is. Raising a child on the other side of the world, so far away from your support network, is particularly scary. I'm sure that you can understand my wife's reticence in this. We were at a decisional impasse, so we sought out people who could provide us with guidance. My wife and I met with a missionary couple who had been on the mission field uh, for about 15 years. And they told us that uh, if both of us were not called to the mission field, then neither of us were called to the mission field, and we should not go. I, 
This is really wise advice. And I ignored it. Too stubborn to see the difference between my will and God's will, I put my family on a plane to Jakarta, Indonesia. I won't go into the complete story of that year we spent in Indonesia, despite to say that uh, despite my stubbornness, the Lord was faithful to us. Our time in Indonesia had some bright spots. Our time in Indonesia had some dark spots. Uh, but by the end, I knew that the missionaries whose advice I had ignored had been right. Proverbs tells us that for lack of guidance in nations falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Do you have people who you can turn to when you are faced with difficult decisions? People who you know well and who, who care about you enough to speak truth into your life, even when that truth is difficult to hear. And are you willing to listen to that truth? The Lord's will is revealed to us through, his uh, through our conscience and through the guidance of fellow Christians. However, and this is where I want to end today, the primary means by which we know God's will is through his word. Discerning the will of God means understanding and agreeing with what God wants of us with a view to putting it into practice. However, discerning the will of God through the scriptures is not a matter of cherry-picking verses in order to justify our decisions. If we desire to know God's will, we need to seek to know God as he is revealed in the entirety of the redemptive narrative of the Bible. The better we know God's word, the better we are able to discern his will for our life. In this passage, Paul entreats the church not to conform to this world. Over the next decade of your life, you will be faced with many important decisions. Conformity is the act of matching attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. Right? When faced with a difficult choice, if our decision-making process has been shaped most by the attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors of this world, our decisions will be out of kilter with the Lord's will. When our decision-making process has been shaped by the attitudes and beliefs and behaviors of God's word, our decisions, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, will be aligned with God's will, even when a full understanding of his will remains out of reach. So James Montgomery Boyce helpfully reminds us that we may not know what God's specific will for our life is. Ultimately, we do not need to be under pressure to discover it, fearing that if we miss it somehow, we will be doomed to live a life outside the center of God's will. We are free to make decisions with what wisdom we possess. Nevertheless, we can know that God does have a perfect will for us and that this will of God for us will be done because God has decreed it and because the Holy Spirit is praying for us in this area. The reason that we are here at Cairn University, or at least the reason I hope that you are here at Cairn University, is to learn what is good and what is right and what is acceptable and what is perfect in the eyes of the Lord. Our studies in the classroom are an exploration of God's world, bringing us to a closer understanding of God's character and therefore his will. Likewise, 
several times a week we meet here in chapel to discern God's will through the application of his word. Our chapel program is a purposeful presentation of God's word designed to assist in the development and enrichment of the biblical worldview of this university's learning community. We spend this time on God's word because we as a learning community are committed to discerning his will, even when we don't fully understand it. With a a sense of humble gratitude and an ear towards the guidance of the church, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the promptings of the scriptures. My hope and prayer for you this semester is that through your studies and through this chapel program, you'll develop a better understanding of the will of God for your life, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray that you would reveal your will, that your will would be done, that you would guide us through the work of your Holy Spirit, that through our studies here, through the chapel, through what we learn in the classroom, through it all, we would come to a greater sense of who you are. All the while, Lord, keeping us humble, reminding us that we need to be comfortable with mystery and that we need to trust in you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.